Well, good morning, church. I, uh, I just want you to know it is so good to be with you here this morning. If you're visiting with us, it is so good to have you. I uh, want to wish you a warm welcome here this morning to Wheaton Bible Church. My name is Phil Shields, and I'm one of the pastors here. And today we are jumping into our second uh, message in this series called Explore God. It's really a, a whole series about these uh, questions, these big questions about life and faith and seeking answers for that. And so I'm glad you're here if you are asking those questions. This morning we're going to be dealing with the question of, is there a God? And this is an important question for all of us. Whether or not we have been a part of the Christian faith for decades or whether or not we are seeking answers, this is an important question for all of us right now. In every moment of our life, we have to be answering this. And I believe that there is a God. I believe that there's a God that wants to know you and uh, desires to have a relationship with you. And so if you're asking the question of, is there really a God? I want you to know that God is not intimidated by that question. He isn't. He, he can handle that question. And I also want you to know that if you're asking those questions, and you might get afraid of asking that when you walk into a church, I want you to know that you can walk into Wheaton Bible Church and ask that question. It's safe. It's safe to come and, and ask this because for all of us, we enter this place or we enter our life each day with tons and tons of questions. In fact, those questions start early in life. You might have been in a car with a child traveling and you get the question over and over again, right? Are we there yet? I mean, we start with questions when we're young uh, at heart. Maybe you have at one point read the letters that kids write to Santa Claus, and you see the questions that they ask there, or, or maybe you have actually read letters that children write to God. Something, it goes something like this. There was this letter that uh, Larry wrote, and he wrote, Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It works with my brother. <laughs> or Lucy wrote this, Dear God, are you really invisible, or is that just a trick. It starts as young kids. We ask this question and we also write letters. And now those might not be literal letters where we're writing it out in with our hand or typing or whatever it may be, but we are all writing letters to God constantly and we are hoping that God is going to answer that. And what we have found out is that if you're an adult in the room, those questions become harder and harder as you get older because the pain of life keeps coming at you. And so we have these questions and we wonder, is God going to answer? Is he going to say something? See, for some of us, we're walking into this place with uncertainty uncertainty about our future. We're walking into this place with, with pain from relationships from the past, relationships that have gone back bad. We have this fear of the future. We, we have this list that could go on and on of painful circumstances that each of us have experienced. And we wonder, is there a God? 
In the midst of those circumstances, we can be asking that question. Where is he? What is taking place? And I want you to know that there are three possible answers. See, you could answer no, you could answer maybe, or you could answer yes. And however you answer, the conclusion on God, your conclusion on God is what you're going to bet your entire life on. Your conclusion on God is what you're going to bet your entire life on because the answer to this question determines how you will live. It determines how you're going to approach life. And so because we have entered a church this morning and you might be asking this question, I want to take you to the Bible. I believe that we can find answers there. And so I want, to, I want you to take a look at Psalm 19 verses 1 through 4. In Psalm 19, this is a book of the Bible that is in what is known as the Old Testament. And so it was written many, many years ago. And this psalm that we are going to look at in Psalm 19 is a beautiful piece of what this writer is finding God to be. And so this is what it says. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They, ha they use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. So we, we see that this writer is writing this of what is happening in the heavens. Now, I want to tell you, I am not an astronomer, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a philosopher. In fact, some of you that are sitting in here were my teachers when I was growing up, and you know that I am not any of those. You graded my papers. But what I do know is that I have experienced life. I've experienced the ups and the downs. And I, I have read, and, and whenever I go to the scriptures, what I want to do is I want to walk with all of us. I want us to all walk together to really look at two different ways that we can look for an answer to this question. Is there a God? Now remember, we only have, you know, 35 minutes to look at this. And so I'm not going to paint uh, every fact or shred of evidence out there, but let's start looking by taking a look at Psalm 19. Psalm 19 starts in the way that this writer says that you can find an answer to the question of is there a God is that you should walk outside and look up. It's time for us to look up. I mean, that, it seems really simple whenever we hear this, but he says, you know, if you want to answer that question, look up. In many ways, we come to this and we look at it. It's the cosmological truths about God. That's what this writer is getting at. See, now there are many that have come to the conclusion that this world was created through a big bang. This, this big bang that took place, and Basically, the, the thought behind that is that all of this, all of this world, all of this universe came into existence from nothing. That it just happened. 
But whenever we look at that, we have to say, but if it came from nothing, then how did something start from nothing? That means that there had to be something. Something to start that. And so if you want to call it a bang, I am fine with that because here's the deal. When God speaks, there is a loud bang because his truth is full and it reveals many things. And so whenever we look at this, we have to understand that whenever we say, well, you know what, this world started from nothing, we have to understand that that probably takes more faith to believe in that than to believe that this world was created by someone. It's, it's something that we, we have to wrestle with. And so whenever we look at this, the writer is saying in Psalm 19 to go and look up. And if you look up, you are going to see there is great complexity above you. Now, often, whenever we look at great complexity, we're going to see there isn't much order. But the writer is saying, look up, because when you look up, you're going to find that there is great complexity with really, really precise order. Incredibly precise order. And so the creator, God, who I believe is present, he says there is order, and Psalm 19 takes us to the splendor of a creator. That's what this is writing about. So in Psalm 19:1, the writer shows us that the splendor of the heavens declares the glory of God. The splendor of the heavens declares it. Now, here's the deal. For some odd reason, all of us in this room have chosen to live in this frigid tundra of Illinois. There's a problem with that, okay? But we live in the suburbs of Chicago, and so we can go outside, and it's really hard for us to fully understand the splendor of the heavens. Because our cities are, are, our cities are really doing things so that we can't see really how magnificent it is. So I want to show you something, and this comes from really a place that I think is very heavenly. It comes from Hawaii. This is a, a picture from Mauna Kea in Hawaii. I want you to look at that sky. See, that's the sky. Whenever I read this psalm, I start thinking that there is a writer that has no fog, no pollution, that's looking up and seeing the, the night sky and saying the splendor of the heavens declares the glory of God. See, I, I look at the stars, I look at the, the lights that are coming from places that we don't even know. And the writer says, is there a God? Well, I believe that the splendor of a creator is found in the heavens, and that's where glory is found. See, whenever I look at this, I, I say, if we are going to believe that that was an accident then, then I got to wonder, well, how many accidents does it take to finally get to that beauty? Because I got to tell you, I am accident prone. There's a lot of accidents that I have, have seen take place within my life. And nothing that I do, nothing that whenever I have an accident looks as beautiful as that. 
And I bet that's the same for you. See, the writer of Psalm 19 is saying, the splendor of the heavens declares the glory of a creator. Now, it's time for you and me, no matter what we believe, if we believe in God or if we don't, it's time for us to look up. We have to look up. Now, the writer continues on, whenever we look in Psalm 19, he continues on and in saying that the, just like art communicates a message, the splendor of the heavens are continuing to pour forth speech, a message. It's, it's continuing to do this. And so what we have to understand is that the splendor of the heavens is announcing the creator. It's a message. It's, it's a message that's being seen. So when we see that incredible beauty, it's a message it's an artistic message. In the original language that this book was written, it was written in Hebrew, whenever you see this pouring forth, it means that is, it, it really wants to portray this gushing forth of a fountain, like something that's just continuing, continuing to pour forth all of this truth, all, speaking all of this. And if you notice, it's happening, in, it's happening all day and all night. Now, what we like is that we like to build ourselves up as humans. We like to think that we are really the center of the universe. And what you're going to find out is that we are not. And so we think that because we can speak, because we can think on different things, that we are so amazing. But guess what? You have to go to sleep. You can't do it 24-7. But the writer is saying that the splendor of the heavens is communicating, it's pouring forth, it's gushing a message of a creator all day and all night. So when you're weak and you go to sleep, the heavens are still proclaiming. The heavens are still speaking. Now here's the amazing thing about it. I've traveled overseas and I, I've had this experience every place I go. That whenever I go to a place that does not speak English, which they shouldn't, they're in another country, I end up going and I start trying to communicate with the people and they're looking at me. And as the conversation is going, they have no idea what I'm saying because I'm in their land speaking another language. And so I start talking and what ends up happening is I start getting louder and louder and louder. Now it's not because I'm upset. It's because in my feeble mind, I think that if I speak English louder, they're going to understand. And it never works. It never works. But what's amazing is that we can travel from places and we can try to speak languages to one another and we, we mess up the message. But what's amazing is that whenever the writer in Psalm 19 is saying to look up to see the splendor of the heavens, the heavens are sending a message. They are communicating a message that every person on the earth can understand no matter what language they speak. They can look and, and say, there is something, there is someone, there is a creator. And it's evidence that, that there is a handiwork that is taking place there. You and I can't do that. We can't. But if we're going to answer this, we have to continue on. And so the writer in Psalm 19, these first four verses, ends up telling us that the splendor of the universe speaks where we are 
and where we can't be. This is amazing. Uh, Wherever we are on this planet, the message from the heavens, this, uh, this message that there is a creator, that somebody put the stars in those exact places, is revealing that to us. But what's amazing is that we can't even go. None of us will be able to walk out these doors and hop on uh, a rocket and go to the moon. But even on the other side of the moon that we can't see, the splendor, the, the message of a creator is being spoken. We can go to different planets and where that planet is, we can look up and the message of a creator is being spoken. And so the universe is speaking about a God no matter whether we're here on earth or across the universe. That's what the writer is saying. And here's the amazing thing. The writer probably did not have the capability to look through a telescope. The writer's looking up into the sky. Now, like I said earlier, I am not a scientist. But I want to take you on just a small journey here to see really what this writer is looking at in Psalm 19. So I want you to take a look at this first picture. So we live in what is known as the Milky Way galaxy. Now for some of you that are science teachers, you're getting so hyped up right now, okay? Just calm it down a little bit. So we live in the Milky Way galaxy. This is a picture of our galaxy, and really our galaxy is one of hundreds of billions of galaxies in the known universe. Now, did you get that? Hundreds of billions of galaxies in the known universe. So if you and I decided we're going to do something just for fun, We're going to start counting the stars. We're going to start counting all the stars, and we got to count one star per second in our galaxy. It would take us 2,500 years to complete that. 2,500 years to count all the stars. So if you were thinking of going out for fast food after this, I wouldn't do that. You got a lot of counting ahead of you. So we we look at this and we say, okay, here's our galaxy, all the stars that are taking place. I want you to see another picture. As we go to this next one, whenever we look at this, this is a picture of a, a composite of thousands of pictures that are put together of our galaxy. Now, in order for us to really visit our entire uh, galaxy, we would need to travel 186,000 miles per second to go from one end of our galaxy to the next. Now, the science teachers in here know this. The reason I'm saying 186,000 miles per second is because that is the speed of light. And so it would take us 100,000 light years to travel across our entire galaxy. Now you thought, hey, it was a big deal that you accomplished all your tasks yesterday. But when we look at a picture like this and we understand the vast gloriousness of what is taking place, 
when you look up, there is evidence for an answer to the question, is there a God? Now, this is great complexity. There's, there's so much that is happening. And if things are just off by, you know, a foot, two feet, all of that, and you start looking at it, there's going to be complete disaster, and yet everything is, is held in the right place at the right time. And in the midst of this picture of our galaxy, what we have to understand is that isn't even our entire solar system. See, that's just a fraction. I mean, it's just small compared to everything that is out there. And we want to say, well, this universe seems rather large. If, if we're the only people, it's rather large to have all this. And you're right, it is. But it's because this universe isn't declaring anything about you and me. If we take pictures and we start looking at pictures, what this message is is that there is a God and it's all about his glory. And so we should look at this, we should be blown away, and we have to understand really how large we are in the whole scheme of things. In fact, I want you to see this, I want you to see this next picture. So here's our galaxy, that arrow right there is pointing to you. That's pointing to you, that's where earth is. Now notice, we aren't in the center. It's not about us. We're in the place that we're supposed to be, and, and that little dot that that arrow's pointing to is you and me. That's where we're at. And so in the entire scheme of things, who is bigger? You or God? See, I believe that when we look at these pictures and we look at what the writer is saying in Psalm 19, I think it's presenting some evidence that there is something and there is something that is taking place, that there is no way that that incredible complexity and order all together happened by an accident. See, when, when we see this, it blows us away. In fact, Neil Armstrong, the first man on the moon, he ended up, when he was traveling back to Earth from on Apollo 11, he ended up saying this, I remember on the trip home on Apollo 11, it suddenly struck me that that tiny pea, pretty and blue, was the Earth. I put my thumb up and shut one eye, and my thumb blotted out the planet Earth. I didn't feel like a giant. I felt very, very small. See, even though what an, an accomplishment to go into space, that he is blown away by the evidence of things that are taking place around him as he's looking, it, it ends up making us feel very small, and that's not bad. But we could look at more and more of the heavens, we could look at billions of pictures, and we could look at all this, but what I want us to see is that that is one way to come to your answer of, is there a God? And so if you're questioning that, I want to encourage you, continue looking at the created order of the universe. Ask your questions, seek it, 
But I want you to see that there's another place that you can also find this answer. And I want you to turn to Romans 1, 16 through 25. And uh, I should have said this earlier. If you're visiting with us, you need a Bible. There's one in front of you. You can look in the front to find out where we're going, uh, table of contents. But there is a, a book of the Bible known as Romans. It was written by a guy named Paul. And Paul is uh, writing this. And in these verses that uh, we want to look at in chapter 1, he ends up saying some pretty interesting things. And the reason this is interesting is because at one point, Paul did not believe that Jesus Christ, who we believe is the Son of God, was truly the Son of God. He believed that there was a God, but he didn't know that the God really wanted to to really know each of us personally. And so Paul ends up being confronted with God, and he ends up surrendering his life. But then in Romans 1, he ends up writing these words. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So Paul writes this in he states something of right at the beginning of these verses of the gospel. And the gospel is this. The gospel is the telling of God's love to a wayward people, to a people that are full of brokenness. It's a message that is full of energy and it's full of hope for the broken world that we live in. That's what the gospel is. And, and we know, all of us in here, whether we believe there is a God or that we don't, we believe that this world is broken and that people are broken. We know it through the actions that are happening all across our world. We know that something isn't right. But what Paul ends up writing is he, he ends up, part of this text is also a point back to Psalm 19, but he's saying, yeah, look up, but you should also look in. You can find evidence for God if you look in. And it, it's looking at this. So in this section of the Bible, Paul tells us that not only evidence in nature, but there's also this evidence that we are born with. 
that you and I have been born with. It's known as the moral evidence or the, the moral code that we have within us. See, in verses 18 and 19 of this text, Paul writes about the wrath of God. He ends up talking about this wrath that is, that is going to be coming. And the reason that there is this wrath is because if there is a God, he is a divine God who is displeased with sin. He, he's displeased with this. And so if there is a God, he has to deal with this. That means that there is a wrath that is coming, a judgment. And so these verses reveal that. Verses 18 and 19. And the reason that this is important is because if sin is here and we have a divine God, it means that there was a bridge that was broken between him and between us. And Paul wants us to understand, for all of us to understand, that that has taken place. And the reason that this is happening is because man is choosing to do something and it's choosing to suppress the truth. He says that, that we suppress the truth. Now, in order for you to suppress something, you have to have it. You have to have a piece of it, or you have to own it, or whatever it may be, but it has to be in your possession in order for you to suppress it. So Paul's saying that if we're suppressing the truth, it means that we possess the truth to the answer of, is there a God? And if we have the answer that we are born with and we're suppressing it, it means that we are ignoring the very answer that we are trying to find. And so it's something that we are struggling with. See, folks, truth is truth. It cannot be rewritten Truth is not a Wikipedia page that can change several times in one day. Truth is truth. And so you can't change it, but what you can do is you can stifle it and you can suppress it. And so what Paul is saying here is that you have been born with a truth, a knowledge of something, and you are suppressing it. In fact, in verse 19... Paul says that it was never hidden from you. It was never hidden from you. It's there. It, it, it's not that there is a God that wants to hide himself from you. It's that it's there. It's just you are not opening yourself up to the truth. So look back at the text. Verse 20 tells us that, that this truth has been revealed to humanity from the beginning of creation. So this goes back to Genesis 1, that from the moment that the first day and night happen, truth has been spoken and the message has been going forth. Imagine that. From the first day, it has never stopped. Just like the heavens declare day in, day out, the message of truth has continued on. So how is this? Well, one of the reasons I say to look in is because you need to spend some time looking at your kids. Think back to your kids or any kids that you see on a playground or your grandkids, and you can watch children when they are young with other kids and you can see the truth. So for the past seven years, my kids have had an argument. I mean, that's a long time, okay? A seven-year argument. The argument has to do 
Uh, and it really started when they were really young, but this was an interesting argument that happened, and I believe that they, they processed through it. I don't think that I totally taught them this. But the argument has to do with the best dog in the entire universe, our dog Bailey. Bailey is a boxer, and uh, she loves my kids a lot. In fact, I can try to wrestle with my kids, and she will bite me. But the argument started because when my son was younger, he would want, when we first got Bailey, at that time she was really small, but they would want Bailey to sleep with them. And so Gavin would start, and he would want Bailey to sleep with him. And then the next day, Kiana would end up saying, well, I want Bailey to sleep with me. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But what they were wrestling through was the moral code of fairness. I don't know that I taught them that. See, it was something ingrained in them. If he had Bailey the first night, then she should get him or get her the second night. It's a moral code of fairness. And if you look on a playground, you're going to see that even though there is selfishness at times, that for some reason kids understand that there is a moral code of fairness and justice. They don't have to be taught all the time that you cannot hurt other people's feelings. Why? Because it has been put into them. Now, yes, you're going to have behavioral problems at times and all of that, but for each and every one of us, we have been born with a moral code. And so my question then is, where did that moral code come from? So here's the deal. Even though my kids might be great kids, they have a broken father. They have a broken mother. And so we can't teach them all of that. It's, it's not like that is, is something that we are perfect in. And what's sad is that my parents were broken and their parents were broken. And all of this goes back that because of the brokenness that's in all of us, it means that we didn't really put all of that into ourselves. So where did it come from? I believe that when you look at the creation story, what you're going to find is that the evidence, if you look within, is that God has placed that within you. God has put that within you. He, is, he has created things and, and put things because justice is, is beautiful because God is beautiful. Fairness is a great thing because God is fair. Love is beautiful, not because the person is beautiful, but because God is beautiful. And so it traces back to an evidence for a creator. That that creator, that just creator, had to put that into us. Look at this quote by C.S. Lewis, uh, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia and many other books. He ends up saying this, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for these desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. He goes on to say, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. So here's the deal. We struggle on the playground because we know that there is something that is beautiful about fairness and justice. 
But it's hard to come by that in this world. And it's because you were made for another world. You were made for something else. God has put that in you. He's, he's put this in so that there can be evidence. And so when we see this, when we see what Lewis is saying here, it means that you have some traits that are only going to be perfected when you enter that other world. And i got to tell you, if you don't know what that other world is, that other world is heaven. And so even though God, had, I believe that God has created a universe that is beyond our wildest dreams, he has also made a way for you to dwell in heaven. So he can, he can make the big and he can take it back to the small. See, God is speaking. And so what Paul is getting at is that when we go to our own thinking, it means that we want to put our place, ourselves in the place of God. And what Paul's saying is God is not like that. And so in verses 23 through 25, we see that we choose to follow our own desires. God has let us go to those. And he's saying it's time for us to pull that back and to understand that God has created. He wants to be your God. He has presented evidence by looking up, by looking in. And he's saying, I want to have a relationship with you. I can be on the other side of the world, but I can travel faster than the speed of light, and I can be there with you in your situation. So think about this. Remember the picture of the Milky Way and the arrow pointing to Earth? God can be on the other side, and he can also be with you at the same time. And so I know that for some of you, you're hurting and you're continuing to try to press on and you're trying to, to move further down this, this life and you're trying to do it all on your own. And I got to tell you, now is the time to stop. Because when there is a God, you can surrender your life and let him be in control. He loves you so much that in order to build that bridge back up, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and to pay the penalty for that wrath that Paul's talking about. And through that, through a relationship with Jesus, surrendering your life, understanding that you are sinful, and that Jesus came as the perfect sacrifice, that he can make you right so that you can enter that other world, heaven, that Lewis is talking about. So, Here's what I want us to do. You might be new to Christianity. You might be, uh, have been in Christianity a while and you're, you're struggling on some things. Uh, but I, and for some of you, you might be going, I'm asking questions and I'm still, still seeking and I want that. But I want to give you the opportunity right now to stop Asking the question over and over again, is there a God? And I want to give you the opportunity to say there is a God and I want to give my life to him. So on, our, on the screen, I want to put a prayer. And so if you've been struggling, if you have been uh, struggling with, okay, where is this? And you're going, I want to, to surrender my life. Then I want to invite you to do it right now. And you can pray this with me. And just, you don't have to say it out loud. You can sit in your, your seat and say this. But all you need to do in this surrendering is to say this. Say these words with me. Dear God, thank you for loving me and for sending your son to die for my sins. I want to turn away from my sinful life 
and receive Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And now, as your child, I turn my entire life over to you. Amen. If that is your prayer, then you're starting your journey with Jesus today. And and for that, I am so thrilled for you. So I want to encourage you because we want to help you with this. If you open your bulletin, you're going to see that we have a card in there. And I want to encourage you that if you prayed that prayer, that you fill that card out, that um, you put that in so we can be praying with you so that we can help you. Um, We want to be able to follow up with you and kind of answer more questions and journey with you. And so fill that out. I want to give you a moment to do that. And then you can drop that in the offering plate that's going to come here in just a moment. But just real quickly, fill that out. And I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward. And as I do that, I'm going to pray. And you can finish filling that out and and putting that in the offering plate. If you're a guest with us, do not feel obligated to give during this time. We're just grateful that you chose to, to worship with us today. And so this offering is a way that we give back to glorify the splendor of a God who has put so much up above us and so much into us. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you desire to speak and that you have chosen that your creation continues to speak. And so for those that have come uh, to faith in you decades ago, I pray that they would continue to see your glory wherever they go, that they would live for you. And for those that are, are still asking questions, I pray, Lord, that you would help them find the answers. And then, Lord, for those that have turned their lives over to you, whether it was today or last week or in the last month, I pray, Lord, that you would help them grow in their relationship with you, that they would see you for who you are, and that they would fall deeper and deeper in love with you. And it's your name I pray. Amen.